0: Gina Della from Pella. Get up to five years no interest, five months no first payment, and 5% same-day order savings at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. 555's been extended, but only through October 31st. See PaulaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620.
1: And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. No, we will not, we will not sort of roll around in the angst over the Brewers' loss. They had a great season. That's how you have to look at it. Unfortunately, I thought this could have been a special season. just didn't turn out to be that case. And like I was saying earlier, I think it's going to be an interesting offseason. Craig Council, I know a lot of people are very upset with him. He had a very bad series. It was pretty much like everything he did went wrong, and you can argue that you know he kind of overmanaged and again nothing worked but he's got the right temperament and you certainly can't argue with the overall record um putting together the team next year you know who knows i think the big question is Kristen yelich who is paid as one of the top players in the game certainly hasn't shown that for the last two seasons and you start to wonder is there an injury how can you lose it that quickly but um He just looked absolutely lost to me over a good portion of the season, particularly at the end. But hopefully he's a great guy, and hopefully they'll get it all straightened out. And pitchers and catchers report in about four months. So that's kind of the way you have to think of it. I know some people think this, but it is amazing to me that people would actually say it. And this is the story as reported in the Journal Sentinel. The guy's name is Justin Belinsky. He is the spokesperson for State Senator Chris Larson. And Chris Larson is one of these guys who is always, like, upwardly mobile. He's always looking for something else that he can can run for to, to try to advance his career. So Belinsky is the spokesperson for this. Now, in the Assembly this week, they're, they're having a hearing on the issue of abortion. And as I've explained before, this is a really, really hot-button issue, and we rarely talk about abortion on this program simply because there, there's no middle ground. I mean, people feel what they feel about it, and you you really—it's it, it, it based, it's based on your own personal convictions and your religious convictions and your worldview. And we can talk all we want about it, but some people just think a woman has an absolute right to choose, and other people think that it, it's murder of an unborn child. And, and you just You just can't find any sort of common ground. So I try to steer away from this. But every once in a while, you come across these comments, which really make me wonder, do people really think this way? All right, so what was happening is that there was a woman who was testifying— on this assembly bill, which would bar the Department of Health Services from certifying abortion providers under a medical assistance program. Okay, so she's arguing that abortion providers shouldn't get this money. And and again, that's not what the issue is. One of the things she says is that babies are being aborted at an alarming rate because of pre-birth diagnoses diagnoses of Down syndrome. So, you know, what what she's saying is that a lot of— People who are finding out that their unborn child would have Down syndrome are making the decision to, to have an abortion. All right. So that, that, that's her premise. And by the way, the numbers seem to support that. So into this weighs this Justin Balinski character who says, quote, I never thought I'd see a doctor testify in an assembly hearing that we should limit abortion because too few kids were being born with Down syndrome these days. But here we are. Never thought I'd see a doctor testify in an assembly hearing that we should limit abortion because too few kids were being born with Down syndrome these days, but here we are. Well, of course, what she was saying is that you've got a lot of babies that are being aborted solely because of the diagnosis of Down syndrome. And this is clearly like a a justification. Oh, yeah, you get a diagnosis of Down syndrome. Of course, go ahead and abort your child. That's what this guy is saying. And of course, it attracted... A lot of attention, Um, and subsequently, apparently, they they took down the tweet. Um, This this hit a nerve with my former colleague, Republican State Senator John Jagler, whose daughter, who is by the way an absolute an absolute a wonderful lady, who was born with Down syndrome. And Jagler says, "What an awful thought to have, let alone tweet out." To which I say to Jagger, you're, you're right. I mean, clearly, you know that some people think like this, I, I guess, but to actually put it in writing and, and send it out saying, well, and that is what the implication is. Hey, you know, you get a diagnosis, you got a child with Down syndrome. Well, you know, I mean, of, of course, there's going to be abortion. And of course, that's not exactly what he said, but it's pretty darn close to what he said. And you really kind of go, wow, do people really think like like this. And that's irrespective of, again, how you feel about abortion or not. It's just, it's amazing that some people would think to actually say something like this. All right. Our number, eight five five six one six one six twenty, 616 1620 which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Yesterday, we devoted one segment of the program to the thing out of California where they have now decided to tell retailers that in toy departments, you have to have gender-neutral aisles because they don't want... I don't know, sexual gender stereotyping. So if you've got a, um, a boy who wants to be a chef and wants to go to get an easy-bake oven, he shouldn't have to go into a section where there's dolls. And if you want a girl who wants to play with Tonka trucks, she shouldn't have to go into a, a section that um, is, has boys type of stuff. My larger point with this whole thing was you do not need government telling retailers what kind of toys they have to put on a shelf in a particular aisle. But this, of course, is California, which brings us to the other thing coming out of California. California is going to become the first state in the country which would require all gas-powered lawn equipment to be done away with. Starting in 2024, so starting two years from now, you will not be allowed to have a small gas engine that powers your lawn lawn equipment. So if you want to have a lawnmower, it can't have a gas engine. If you want to have a leaf blower, it can't have a gas engine, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The justification for this is, well, those gas engines on the leaf blowers, the gas engines on the lawnmowers, they, they pollute. So what we have to do is we have to move away from gas-powered equipment. Our Now, of course, a commercial electric lawnmower costs twice as much as its gas equivalent. Um, most people say they often don't perform as well. They have less power. They have shorter usage times, um, longer charging times, et cetera. So there's all sorts of like real-world problems with doing away with like gas lawnmowers and with leaf blowers and things of the like. But California doesn't seem to care about that because, well, we want to get rid of those evil engines. Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should we follow California's lead? Should we say— Well, we really love the environment. So that means over the course of the next couple of weeks, when you're going to be getting your leaves together, you you shouldn't be allowed to use one of those leaf blowers that runs on anything other than electricity and the giant uh, cord or alternatively the charging pack. And if you're going to mulch your lawn with the lawnmower, nope, it's got to be an electric lawnmower. Do we need government saying that to you? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Uh, uh, Okay, here's the way this works, in case you think I'm making it up. California has just banned the following. Any engine that produces less than 25 gross horsepower, which includes lawnmowers, weed trimmers, chainsaws, leaf blowers, golf carts, generators, and pumps... Okay, so let me you, you can't have now think about this. All right, let's assume that as often happens in California, the power grid goes down. You've got one of those fires, people don't have electricity. All right, so what do you do? Maybe you go get a generator, right? Well, you know, you get like that gas power generator, you can't have them anymore. You can't have gasoline powered generators. So, when the electric grid goes down, you can't hook up a gasoline powered generator to keep your lights on and to keep the refrigerator running and stuff like that. Here's what they also estimate that the way it works now is a gas powered commercial riding mower costs somewhere between seven to ten grand. Its electric equivalent costs more than twice that amount. Then there's the batteries. For example, imagine the landscaping crews that are out there. They say a three-person landscaping crew will need to carry 30 to 40 fully charged batteries to power their equipment during a full day's work. So if you've got—I mean, just, just, just imagine that. Let's say you live like—I mean, I live in a condo complex where there's a, a landscaping company that comes out on Fridays, and they cut the lawn, and they do that. That landscaping company that's going to be going to all the different places, they estimate they're going to have to have 30 to 40 charged batteries that they are carrying around to in order to do what they need to do. Really? Is, is this really where we're at? 855-616-1620. Let's start with uh, Caleb. Caleb, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
2: Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate yes, it. Sure. Uh, Listen, I've done two years of professional tree work. I've dropped trees, you know, 100 feet in the air type thing. And I would never want to be in a bucket or even in a tree with an electric chainsaw. I think that's entirely ridiculous. You know how long an electric chainsaw lasts? Probably 20 minutes if you're running full bore through, you know, something like white oak. Right. So like you said, you're going to have 30 or 40 batteries needed for some of these tree crews. Now, I just don't understand what California is thinking, and it's an invasion of personal rights, in my opinion. It's up to the landowner what kind of equipment they have and what they're doing, because the environmental factor on a five-gallon thing of gas that you're going to put through your lawnmower over the course of several weeks is, in my opinion, non-existent.
1: Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. And see, and, and I, I appreciate this. Look, if if you and I, I know that there's a lot of people out there that that love the new, you know, electric weed whackers and love the new electric lawnmowers and, and, and that's all well and good. To me that's a free market thing. If you make that decision that it makes sense for you or you love it because it's convenient or whatever, I go with God, go do that. But this requirement that you're not going to be able to use it or buy it, that that's nuts and it's done to your point without thinking about what the real world implications are going to be. I, I mean, I'm just, again, I'm trying to picture that the lawn service that we use at my condo complex, that you're going to have 30 or 40 batteries. You're going to need an entire truck just to carry all the batteries that you're going to need to do one day work.
2: I mean, I'd like to add, too, if you don't mind, sure. what's the environmental impact on mining all of this lithium to build these batteries? Right. That's my question in all this. What's that, you know, you're talking about clearing entire mountaintops. To open up these giant pit mines. And, you know, environmental science 101, when you're blowing off the top of an, a mountain, the runoff from that, the environmental destruction from that, right. it's massive. So where's that conversation all this, And I will disclose, man, I do use an electric leaf blower. It's sure. a little handheld leaf blower. It does great sure. clearing off the driveway, but guess what? When the leaves fall in the fall, I'm pulling out a gas-powered <laughs> right. backpack you know, because yeah. I got to go for hours at a time. It's yeah. not fair for me to have to go purchase ten batteries to do the same amount of work.
1: No, thanks to call. I appreciate it. And again, it's a matter of consumer choice. Jeff, I have an old electric mower, a cord mower. I love it for small areas. It's great for small lots. Same with the battery chainsaw. I love it for small jobs. Unfortunately, the battery operated blowers and mowers need um, so much charging. It could take days for a large yard, and I imagine the power needs may cancel the positive direct uh, carbon output. Well, yeah, that, that's the other thing. And, and I I bring this up whenever we talk about this f- push to force people to, to go to electric cars. And I, look, I if you want to go buy an electric car, that, that's great. That's an individual choice. But this idea that the government's going to force you into those things, my question becomes explain to me where you think electricity comes from. And and if now it's going to be, okay, you can't just have a small engine and you can't go out and put a little bit of gas in the lawnmower and start it up, but you're going to have to plan ahead and you're going to have to charge that lawnmower. And now everybody's going to have to do that. And by the way, everybody's going to have to be charging their cars as well. Explain to me where that energy is going to come from. In California in particular, you already have the power grid, which is taxed to the max. I mean, how many stories have we had about, okay, the rolling blackouts and things like that, and, and now you're going to add this and you're going to add the cars. Explain to me where that electricity is going to come from. And again, I'm not saying that if you love— you know, on, on a, if you love the electric lawnmower or you want to go out and you want to have that little leaf blower or whatever, I, that's fine. I mean, that's a decision you make. I'm not saying you shouldn't have to have the ability to do it. I'm just saying that it's a matter of state law to tell you that you can no longer have a gasoline-powered lawnmower or leaf blower or a gasoline-powered generator. Explain to me how you're going to have a generator. I mean, short of going out and buying one of those giant generators that runs on natural gas that you hook up to your house, explain to me how you're going to have a generator for when the power goes out. This is essentially going to do away with that. Weed trimmers, chainsaws, specialty vehicles, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and text line. Let's talk to, um, let's see, Mike in West Bend. Mike, you're in WTMJ. Hello.
3: Hey, Jeff. Been listening uh... I'm on board with you guys. I have a bunch of electric stuff. I actually just got a new electric lawnmower last year, not by choice. My wife decided to hit a big piece of metal, so she arranged <laughs> the shaft on our gas. But uh, right. Yeah. But anyways, we got an Eagle uh, and got it from Home Depot and really comparable in price mm-hmm. to the gas ones. And for our size lawn, it works great.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: But, you know, along with these guys, you know, commercial, I mean, you, you just can't do that. To me, it should be a personal choice. And one thing I will add is I love not having to have four or five different gas mixtures Mm -hmm. for all my tools.
1: Yeah, no, no. And I I appreciate (laughs) it.
3: Again, like I said, to me, it's a personal choice type deal, really.
1: Right. Well, exactly. And again, I would I I think it it is. And for for um, small, we have a. I'm trying to think I'm sure we have something that's all that's electric um my my wife has one of those portable like golf cart things and and that's a, that's electric that runs on a battery but but otherwise I mean this oh well we have a we have a, a power washer and you have to plug that in but otherwise i mean it, it's again some of the stuff makes sense some of the stuff doesn't make sense I, i'm fully in favor of what Mike is doing Mike saying hey I, you know we went out the you know this made sense I went over to Home Depot I found a lawnmower that was suitable for my particular lawn and we decided to go the electric route and it works just absolutely fine I appreciate that I respect that I, and I get it I, I understand but this idea that okay we're now not going to allow anybody to have this by government fiat to me it's another example of government overreach and this is where we are going and I bring it up not just because it's California and people are crazy in California, but you know that there's all sorts of people here that are looking at that and saying, we've got to figure out a way to do that. And to which my response would be, no, 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 you don't. Let's allow, let's allow stores to decide what they want to put in their various aisles and not have the government have to tell them, oh, you know, you've got to have the, uh, the dolls mixed in with the Tonka trucks because we don't want people to get gender identity screwed up. And yes, if we've got a commercial landscaper, we want to let them choose how big, uh, what sort of equipment that they are going to use. Keep the government out of these things. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, very glad to have you with us. This week's sponsor for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank, is Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Contact them at 920 291 3800 or visit PellaWI.com to learn about their Pella promise and to set up a free consultation. That's Pella Windows and Doors, Pella now, Pay later. All right. Let us review the bidding. As I pointed out before, the city of Milwaukee, uh, the police department has a current crime statistic number where you can keep track of what is going on. And it, it, it's a couple days late, but it gives you a rough idea. Last year, was a record year for homicides it was just unthinkable we had like 190 some homicides in the city of milwaukee and and that was just unthinkable for years and years 100 homicides would be unthinkable and this was like 190 well the bad news is this year we are now ahead of that pace from last year it's only up two percent um the numbers i have year to date 150 this year versus 147 same time last year. I actually think those numbers are a couple days out of date, but you you get the idea. We are running at the same enormous level of homicides that we had last year when it was an unthinkable number. Violence is not getting any better, in other words. So you've got that going on. Um, For other types of crime, rape, The numbers are up, about 20 more rapes this time than the same time last year. Robbery, up by about 100. Aggravated assault, up by about 500. You've got um, thefts, up by about 1,500. And then, of course, the number that we always talk about, motor vehicle thefts. And this is one of the staggering things. This time last year, 3,000 cars stolen in the city of Milwaukee. This year, 8,276 cars are being stolen at a rate of almost 30 cars a day in the city of Milwaukee. And I tell that to people when I'm not on the air. We're just talking about stuff, and I'll say it's 30 cars a day, and they think they heard me wrong. They say, no, you don't mean 30. You mean you're talking about like southeastern Wisconsin, 30 cars a day. No, no. The city of Milwaukee, almost 30 cars a day which raises these questions about, hey, if you're going down to the city of Milwaukee and you're going to park your car on the street, you know, what are the odds that you're going to come out and you're still going to find your car there? And it's just astronomical. And of course, as we've talked about repeatedly on this program, nobody does anything about it. You know, you've got Juveniles that can steal car after car after car, the DA's office won't waive them into adult court. The juvenile judges will do nothing with them other than to say, "Don't do it again." They're back out on the streets four hours later, released to the custody of their parents or whoever who couldn't give a rat's rump about the kids, and they're letting them back out on the street. And you've got kids stealing multiple cars in any given week, and it's a frustration point for the police. The Milwaukee Police Department used to be really good at what they call clearing, which is solving their homicides. they're They're nowhere near as good as they used to be, and it's not the fault of the cops. It's that there's so many more homicides. they're They're just overwhelmed with what is going on in the city of Milwaukee. And there's no no suggestion, no indication at all that this is going to get better. So into this, we, we, have, we deal with the whole issue of police. And over the course of the last year and a half, we've been faced with one community after another who's pushed to defund the police. You know, the police are evil. We don't want the police in our neighborhoods. Let's defund them. And pretty much, you know, every police department that was quote-unquote defunded a year ago, in almost every circumstance— the people in the community have realized this was really a stupid and an irresponsible thing to do, and the police are getting their money back. Why? It's because not having cops on the street is not the answer to the out-of-control crime. So into this, let's look at the city of Milwaukee. Now, here's the way it works. Um, Let's see. Let's go back there. Um, Since 2017, the— Police department has decreased by about two hundred and thirty positions since two uh, since two thousand nineteen. There's been about two hundred and seven officers who have left who have not been replaced, and in the new budget. What they're doing is they're looking at an overall decrease of about 25 sworn positions. So the, the police department is down a couple hundred spots from a couple years ago. And if you listen to the mayor, the mayor says, well, it's not my fault. We don't have money to pay for the cops, et cetera. So people die on the streets And we don't have enough police presence to chase down, you know, the kids that are stealing the stolen cars and committing the assaults and things like that. And I understand that the the lack of police isn't the only problem you have because once you catch them, there's this catch-and-release policy that puts the people back out on the street to commit more crimes. So I understand it's not just a lack of police, but could we agree that, you know, having 200 fewer police officers on the street – from a couple years ago is not a good num- idea when the number of murders is up so dramatically and the number of crimes is up so dramatically. So, all right, here here's the deal. We've got this, what they call the American Rescue Plan Act, where the federal government is going to provide communities with money. And one of the things that they want to do is they want to put in new recruit classes, and they want to use some of that money for three different recruit classes to try to bring 195 new police recruits onto the job. And this doesn't get you back to where you were three years ago, but it gets you closer. All right? So that, that's, that's the goal. Well, spending this money is being objected to. Here's just a portion of how the Journal Sentinel describes it. The new recruit classes are not assured, as the parallel debates over how to allocate the federal aid and where taxpayer dollars should go to build a safer community continue to play out in the city. The Liberate Milwaukee campaign has called for moving $75 million from the police department to public health and housing and not using American Rescue Act funding for the police department, a message that was echoed by caller after caller at a recent public budget hearing. So you have people in the city of Milwaukee. Who are not only saying, "Let's not replace the 200 plus officers that we've lost over the last couple years with this federal money," but let's take another 75 million dollars from the budget of the Milwaukee Police Department. Let's if not completely defund the police, let's cut them off at the knees. Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. One of the things that I pride myself on this program is this perspective that on most issues, there's not necessarily a right or wrong, there's a, a better or worse. And i like to open these up to discussion and we can figure out what the better or worse is. This is one of the exceptions to rule this rule. Defunding the police, not using federal money to try to bring in new recruit classes to replace the cops that we've lost over the couple years. And on top of that, gutting the police department's budget is one of the most stupid, irresponsible, dangerous, and reckless things that I have ever heard. If you seriously want to have any law-abiding, tax-paying citizen make the decision that this is it, I got to get out of Milwaukee, defunding the police in this fashion, that's the justification. Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, at a time when out or less cops. And I think the answer is self-evident. What do you think? 855-616-1620, we discuss.
0: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Looking for somewhere fun to watch this Sunday's Packers game? Join our very own Steve Scafidi from WTMJ at Left's Lucky Town in Wauwatosa. I hang out there on St. Patrick's Day almost every year. Enjoy $18 Miller Lite buckets and $20 Visi buckets, as well as the WTMJ street team with games, giveaways, and prizes. It's WTMJ's Miller Lite watch party. It's this Sunday at noon at Left's Lucky Town in Wauwatosa. Here's a text, Jeff. My cousin was a Milwaukee police officer who just retired after 30 years on the force. A lot of those 200 officers that the department is down were officers that retired. Hired early or got out of law enforcement altogether because of all of these movements to defund the police. It's sad, but it's true. And he, by the way, is absolutely correct. See, that's that's part of the damage that has been done to the law enforcement community by all this defund stuff because you have a lot of institutional memory, a lot of really good cops who've been there for years and years who've just thrown up their hands and said the heck with this. You know, yes, we we'd love, we like what we're doing, but we're you know, we're not gonna stay anymore in this environment where, you know, every time You end up trying to make an arrest of somebody. You're the bad guy, and you've got people that are gathering with all the cell phones that are filming you, and all these people that are constantly second guessing everything that you do. Meanwhile, people are, I mean, I've described the city of Milwaukee as the Wild West, and that's not fair, because in the Wild Wild West, as far as I know, you didn't have 11 year old girls getting shot, you know, on a regular sort of basis. So it's just, you know, that whole situation going on. Jeff, I drive through many communities, and periodically I'll see a police car here or there. I drive through Milwaukee very often. I almost never see a police car patrolling. My question is, where are the Milwaukee police? I grew up in the city, and every time you turned around, there was a police car watching you now you can't find one when you need one where in the world are they well first of all there's fewer police officers that are out there secondly you have the officers are are concentrated unfortunately in having to do things like trying to clear crimes or whatever look i'm a big believer in the whole broken windows theory of policing I, i think small stuff matters But, of course, in the city of Milwaukee, we don't do that anymore because, you know, you've got all these political figures who they'd rather look for photo op moments to condemn the police. Oh, you know, too many of this type of person or too many of that type of person were arrested. And, you know, we've got all these things they'd rather you know, pander for political points, trying to, I don't know, get uh, support in certain parts of their, among certain members of their constituency, then they care about making the streets safe. And that's the atmosphere that you're in. But this idea that we're going to take $75 million from the police department, or we're not going to replace the 200 cops that were down? Seriously. Vincent in Milwaukee. Vincent, good afternoon.
5: Good afternoon, Jeff. You know, every time I'm out and about in this city and I see a, a a police car with with basically empty with no police officer in it, I think that's absolutely ridiculous. You know, because and, and, everybody knows there's no police officers, so so they're going to continue to speed and do what they do. And, and and the fact is, certainly, you know, crime is up in this city and, and also around this country. So the fact is, we do need police officers out on these streets trying to trying to uh, stop some of that. And the fact is police officers aren 't going aren't to be out there to, to, to stop maybe murders and things of that sort, but we do need them to clear those cases yeah we need to get the individuals who are doing this doing this this violence out on the street off the street mm-hmm. and so the only way we do that is have have a professional uh, 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 police officers, experienced police officers. You know on duty in yeah. order to clear these particular crimes and that and, and that's a problem in the city
1: yeah and and you know what I think you would find Vincent my general sense is that the vast majority of crimes are committed by a relatively small percentage of people but it it's the same for example car theft it's the same juveniles that are out there stealing car after car after car that make up a, a whole bunch of those numbers you know if we would concentrate on on catching the bad guys and getting the the hardcore criminals off the streets, I think you would see those crime numbers improve dramatically, and I think you'd see that happen quickly.
5: Oh, certainly! Oh, certainly! And and that takes police officers. Yeah. And and also the the police officers. If you if you have more police officers, maybe they can go walk through the neighborhood. Maybe yeah. they can gain gain some they gain some confidence yep. in these neighborhoods when you see the police officers coming out, talking to talking to people in the neighborhood, and 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 hopefully that yep. uh, hopefully that helps them. Also again, you know, clear these clear clear these uh, uh, yeah. uh homicides that are on the books. So, so Yeah, they we need to get more police officers in the city.
1: Vincent, you are you are a wise man. Yes, yeah, so that the, so people in the community see the police on on a daily basis and see that they're out there trying to protect and serve. So the only contact you have with the police isn't when they've suddenly been called to deal with I don't know, a situation where there's domestic violence and there's a shooting and and all these different situations. Yeah, more cops, better. Fewer cops, dumb. All right. We're going to take a break. Back with much more in just a couple minutes.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620.
1: And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So, Mike Spaulding, I, I, I read... I, I try to read a couple books a week I'm just I'm sort of a voracious reader mm-hmm. it keep, it, I find it keeps my mind to be active and I I, I read all, all sorts of things I like historical biographies I like silly fiction books you know I just at I, any given time I have like three or four books going it just kind of depends on my mood I just finished the latest sort of, like Trump is a lousy human being book this is the one by Stephanie Grisham who was the press secretary mm-hmm. um and it, it just it just came out it's um I, the the book is called something like I'll, I'll answer your questions now or whatever and it's 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 a really quick read i mean so you know i think i got it 2 days ago and i think i just i finished it pretty quickly and it, and it doesn't really plow around. she started out as the like the press war Um, the First Lady, um, who she likes until the First Lady kind of turned on, and then she gradually becomes the press secretary, and it's— it it doesn't really plow new ground, other than it's it's not a very flattering a point a, you know thing about Donald Trump. And she talks the same things about everybody talks about about how it's sort of intellectually lazy and just this really really nasty temper and how the the kids Ivanka and Jared they were sort of like the power behind the throne. But I'm reading all this stuff and at the end of it I'm thinking, huh? I think I want those, those four hours it took me to read the book back. You know how that goes? Yeah, I I do. I'm a big reader as well and. Once you get to, do you get too deep and you're like, well, I got to finish it now? Well, that w- that yeah. was it. Actually, I mean, it was it was last night. So after the Brewers game, we we have dinner, and I, I was sitting there, and I, and I was about a hundred pages. away. I think the book's like three hundred pages. And I was about a hundred pages away, and I just decided I'm I'm going to finish this just because I, I rarely like to bail on books in the middle. It's yeah. got Even if they're not really the greatest books in the world, and and like I say, you you just read this, and it's not plowing new ground. You get the idea that Donald Trump. Whatever you think about his policies, he's not a very nice man. (laughs) You know, yeah. I I, I would be surprised if we ever learned more new, new stuff. I, yeah. I myself, I kind of gave up. You know what I'm reading? If you're looking for a new book, it's called The Cult of We, and it is a Wall Street Journal two Wall Street Journal reporters about WeWork. It was that company that leased all the space. It's like a big old thick, like 400 page. If you you just want to read about a disaster of a company and kind of a person, if you're into that thing, it's good. The one – the other political – I'm sort of burned out on the political books because I just finished Peril, you know, the Bob Woodward thing. And I I thought that was – that was kind of a slog. I I didn't really enjoy that that much and I I didn't particularly enjoy this other than it's it's kind of a quick breezy read. But it was kind of like, okay, I've I got to swear off this stuff because there's really – these tell-all memoirs, there's just nothing more that's out there. I mean he – he was what he was, and I think everybody knows that, and you can agree with his policies or disagree with his policies, but big temper, screams at people, yeah, okay. <laughs> same same old, same old. So Stephanie Grisham, if you're thinking about picking up the book, I, I'd kind of, I'd certainly wait till it comes out in paperback, if nothing <laughs> else. That would be, <laughs> Or just pick up one of the other tell-all memoirs that have been written. Well, they're kind of all the same, absolutely. And, and she's kind of you know, she had her own sort of like personal issues is, is, in some respect, you know, and she's kind of candid about it. Her life was sort of a train wreck, too. So what what can you do? You know, if that's it. But again, wait for the paperback on that one. All right. If you are somebody approximately my age, maybe a little bit older, maybe a little bit younger, you will remember when on the northwest side of Milwaukee— There was this mythical place called Northridge, and you will remember when the Northridge Shopping Center was a thriving – believe it or not, a thriving development. I mean, originally we had Southridge, and then you you had Northridge. It was built – I want to say it was kind of in the mid to late 1970s. But, I mean, Northridge Shopping Center, you had – You had lots of department stores, remember those, and you had all sorts of businesses, and you had a movie theater that had six movies, that had six different theaters in it, screens in it, and you had a whole number of restaurants that were there. And if you were a teenager growing up, I don't know, 70s and 80s, that, that Northridge, especially if you grew up where I did, like in Glendale and stuff, Northridge was the place that you went to hang out in. Now, if you drive out to Northridge, and again, think 76. And Brown Deer Road it is well it, it it's a ghost town it is a dilapidated shell of a mall where they have problems with people breaking in and pretty much stealing you know any sort of infrastructure that's left it's an eyesore it is a danger and it's just an absolute mess um, there is a, a company that owns a chunk of of Northridge. That has been fighting a city order for a couple years. The city has a, a the city has declared it um, to be essentially a, a blight, and what they're trying to do is they want to tear they want to just raise Northridge R A Z E. They want to just tear it down. You've got the, this company that's an affiliate of of a Chinese investment group called Black Spruce Enterprise Group. They're trying to fight the the condemnation order, because they keep saying, well, what we want to do is we want to build this giant international market that's going to have, you know, all these Chinese products and stuff. They've been saying this for years. There's no chance that that's going to happen. And anytime the city tries to, you know, put up enforcement measures, you know, they they go and they call all the different TV stations, and the TV station's guppy on this, and they run out and they run these stories where they're showing all these fancy plans. This is what we're going to build. And then they go out to people and they say, wouldn't this be cool here? And everybody says, well, yeah, It's cool. That would be that would be great. We love it. But the truth is, there, there's there's no chance that they're going to do it. It's all this giant kind of bait and switch thing. And I guess one of the things I've never understood is what the ultimate end game is, because it's very apparent to me that this Black Spruce Enterprise Group has no intention and there's no capital. And and nowadays, giant shopping malls. Nobody builds shopping malls anymore. I mean, maybe you build maybe a maybe a, a strip mall or something like that where you have a Jimmy John's and you have a Supercuts haircut place and you have a little taekwondo studio and a couple things like that but nobody builds giant shopping malls anymore that's just not where these are so anyhow you've got this going on with well, the latest story in the as they describe, long-vacant former Northridge Mall. This is the way the headline says. A proposal to redevelopment the lo- redevelop the long-vacant former Northridge Mall has surfaced, but it appears to be a long shot. There's an Ohio-based group, and this is is their plan. All right. They want to take that land, and they want to turn it into a mix of new buildings, including several hundred apartments and houses, stores, restaurants, and other businesses, and incubators for musicians, artists, and entrepreneurs. But the Ohio-based group behind the proposal would need to raise $700 million just for the project's first step. Um, they then go on to estimate that—here's here, our plans—1900 apartments, 200 houses, businesses, and a hotel. A large sports facility would make this a regional destination, developed in phases over five to seven years, total $1.7 billion, with $700 million spent on the first phase. The money from the first phase would be raised through both equity capital from investors as well as borrowing. All right. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. One of the things I pride myself on is I live in this place that we call the real world. And and I remember what Northridge was. I, I do And it was just incredible in the 70s and 80s, and it just breaks my heart to see what has happened to that area over the course of the last couple decades. But let's be realistic. All right, $1.7 billion, $700 million on the first phase, apartments and houses and business developments and a sports facility— Is there any realistic chance that something like that is going to happen? I mean, who is going to put their money into something like that when you can make investments in all sorts of other areas that you're not going to have to deal with all the problems that that area has, including that it's blighted, it's crime-ridden, and I'm just getting started. 855-616-1620, which is the AccuNet mortgage talk and text line. All right, could Northridge be developed into... I don't know that this huge multi-use facility, sports facility and housing and retail and all this other stuff, or is that just pie in the sky? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, here, here's the bottom line. I'm reading this story about Northridge, and you've got these Ohio developers saying, well, we've got this idea, $1.7 billion, and we're going to turn it into this huge multi-use thing, and we're going to have all these apartments, and then we're going to have these houses, and we're going to have this and that and the other thing. And look, I, I hate to be this gloomy Gus, but you look at this and say, I've been listening to this for 30 years, and I'm sorry, I, I'm not going to buy into this. The future of that area is is not a mixed-use development with hundreds and hundreds of apartments and things like that. There's already a push going on for more low-income housing in the area, which I think is you know, one of the things that might have contributed to the decline of Northridge, at least in the beginning. But look, let, let's face it. You know, If you're looking for what's going to happen out there, rather than trying to say, okay, let's try to recreate what we had before, what you need to do is you need to figure out what could this absolutely – be um, I'm thinking you know maybe maybe you could use it for light industrial I mean that that's the thing and you have light industrial out there and maybe you could have uh, again some businesses that are going to come in there to support the workers that are working in the light industrial area. But, but seriously, this type of project and where is the money going to come from? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. 616 1620 That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Um, one of our callers, it's pie in the sky. Why would anybody invest in an economically depressed area where these things exist in other neighborhoods? There isn't a business in the whole area that isn't suffering, including Menards. 855 um, 616 twenty Amy in Milwaukee. Hi Amy, you're in WTMJ.
6: Yeah, good morning, Jeff. I live in that neighborhood and I've seen the decline of Northridge and we have a great um excuse me, we have a great um Alderwoman in Chantilla Lewis. Mm-hmm who has worked very hard with the people, because it's owned by a Chinese company. Right. And, you know, it was condemned two years ago by the city. Yep. And she has worked very hard with them, and they're not cooperating. They right. keep saying, oh, we're going to do this and do that. As far as I'm concerned, Tara, down. And I, and, and I like your idea of light industrial, because she has brought a lot to the neighborhood. The old Walmart on Servite Drive, where I live, mm-hmm. um, you know, is, is like a transmission place. So, I, you know, that's okay, but otherwise no forget the uh, the low-income housing forget all that I don't it, it's really sad you know I've seen the you know the decline of Northridge. like I said I've lived up there for 15 years right. and it's really sad that whole area but yeah no 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 housing no that's not gonna work well right and, and, and no see... retail
1: right no it, it's just I mean it's this pie in the sky thing and, and again I, I mean I'm trying to think of what could work and I, I think that light industrial might work and that would maybe bring in I mean some surrounding businesses to support like the workers that are going out there, but this idea that you're going to have 200 homes and 1,900 apartments? No, no. Yeah.
6: No, no, that's not going to work. The other sad thing is my husband works for Stein's, and there used to be a Stein's up there. Mm -hmm. And as soon as the owner of Stein's died, they closed that one because of retail theft. Yeah. And that's the biggest issue up there. I mean, so, yeah, um, no, <laughs> um, apartments and stuff like that, no. We have a strip mall right behind our house that's got, you know, stores in it that, that aren't, you know, that go in and out. There's, like, one store. I mean—
1: Right. Are, are you by I, where, I, the, where the the, the, the Target—is that Target still up there? There's that strip mall— Oh, no, th-
6: no, no, no. That Target closed probably five years okay. ago. What, what it's turned into is a trucking company. I live in Servite Woods, right, right sure. behind where the Target used to be. But that Target closed for the same reason.
1: Right, the shop. Yeah, I remember, I mean, I remember when that whole area was thriving, and you had that, that whole, what you're talking about, the strip mall across the way, and you had the Target, mm-hmm. and there was a, there was like a mattress. I mean, just, I remember there was a liquor store. There was all these different stores that were there, and it was a thriving area. Unfortunately, it hasn't been thriving for a long time.
6: Well, and it's called the ghetto of the 90s, because, and they said that, unfortunately, this is a, a thing not just in Milwaukee with malls. It's all over the United States. I mean, I've been all over the United States and seen malls. They're just becoming obsolete, they're expensive. But yeah, no, please, no, no apartments and stuff. That's not going to work.
1: Thanks for calling, Amy. Well, that's that's why. I mean, that's why this this bait and switch stuff that's going on right now by the 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 mall owners, the U.S. version of this Chinese company, that keeps saying. And I I don't one thing I really don't understand is is why they're fighting these these raise orders that are out there because they they clearly have no intention of doing anything with the you know with with that space and all they've been doing is been stalling this for years years and years and years and like i say every time this issue comes up they call the, the tv stations the tv stations show up and they show them all these really fancy drawings and the only money i think they really intend to invest is whatever money it costs to produce these drawings but amy is exactly right that the day of the giant enclosed mall that that's that's over and so that this idea that oh you're going to build this giant you know uh, trade center to highlight you know Chinese products and stuff that that's just not that's not the way people shop anymore yes you know you can have profitable strip malls that are out there, but not these these giant sort of facilities they've got and I look and I understand this is a frustration for a lot of the civic leaders that are out there because it, it's just been an eyesore and a danger for the longest time but let's let's kind of be realistic in this and I, I think you know, what the city needs to do is, is push this raise order, get the thing torn down, stop fooling around with some Ohio company that's talking about $1.7 billion in investment until you actually see the dough. <laughs> that That would be the thing. Just show me the money before you get started on this, or else start moving to what is really a reasonable sort of thing, which, like I say, maybe some light industrial or something like that.
0: Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Oh, very glad to have you with us. Okay, um, if, if you've been reading the various newspapers across the state, you will know, notice that there's been a lot of attention paid to this this review of the 2020 election that has been going on. It's being conducted by former State Supreme Court Justice Michael Gableman into the election procedures. And it seems like every day there there's some controversy that's out there. And the, one of the reasons this has become controversial is because it is very, very partisan. And you have the news media, which has, surprise follows surprise, decided to side with the Democrats in this. And so they're, they're, like the story today on JS Online is that that uh, former justice Gableman who's conducting the election review apparently um, there's uh, Gableman who's leading a Republican review of the presidential election didn't vote in seven recent Wisconsin races if if in Wisconsin, it's a public record if you vote, not who you vote for, but it's a public record. So Gableman has not voted in seven elections in Wisconsin in the last three years, including the 2018 race for governor, the 2020 race for state Supreme Court, a review of his show. So I and I guess the, the point of this, I'm exactly sure, other than it's another one of these, these gotcha stories that are – out there, oh, this is Gableman, and this is this frivolous sort of review of elections. Um, I mean, here's—and this is just another example of what passes in the media nowadays. There's not any pretense of objectivity. Here's the story from a couple days ago. Headline, Turning His Sights on Evers, Gableman Makes Election Allegations Without Offering Evidence. So that's the headline. Um, GOP attorney Michael Gableman says he will force officials to sit for interviews a day after calling off his subpoenas. So you get the you get this idea. And, of course, the, the stories all have this tone and approach and adding to here's another one adding to turmoil. Key Republican turns on Gabelman in election review, says he shouldn't offer mayor's immunity. Shut this fake investigation down. Attorney General slams GOP election review, calls subpoenas unlawful. You, you get the idea of, of what's going on here. Um, and I guess I, I've kind of stayed out of having a conversation about this because I have a position on the election which will probably irritate all of you. First of all, I do not think the 2020 election was, quote unquote, stolen. I think if, you know, by any objective measure, Joe Biden won wisconsin more legitimate votes were cast for Biden than for Trump um, by a margin of 20,000. It was extremely close, probably surprisingly close. But at the end of the day, I don't think there was any sort of widespread examples of voter fraud that is – you know, dead people voting or things of the like. I just—I don't believe that that happened. I don't think that there's any evidence that voting machines were rigged and that 10,000 Trump votes suddenly became 10,000 Biden votes. I, I don't think that happened. The best indicator I have to suggest that is Republicans did really, really well in um down-ballot races. They just—they they just, they, they just did— wisconsin republicans did great and you would see it would seem to me that if there was some big fraud scheme there to fix the race races for democrats you, you would have seen democrats do a lot better up and down the ballot than they ended up doing so that i mean that that tells me there's no evidence out there that suggests that there was this kind of widespread fraud and the fact that you know Trump lost while Republicans did really well tells me that it was just one of these kind of typical elections and that Donald Trump did not perform he was just outperformed and and I understand it he was he was volatile he was a lightning rod and yes lots of people turned out to support him but more people particularly in heavily democratic areas like Madison and Milwaukee turned out to vote against him and I know that's not a sentiment that some people like to hear but I think it is important for us to be grounded in reality when it comes to that. Now, okay, so that I'm sure irritates some of my conservative friends or people out there who believe that the elections were really stolen. So pursuing this line of thinking and spending money to try to, okay, let's do this election audit or let's forensically analyze ballots and stuff, to me is a complete waste of time, spirit, and and money because it's not going to get you anywhere. Now, on the other hand, I think there are legitimate questions to be raised about the way the election was conducted and whether or not the procedures which were supposed to be in place were what they really are and whether they were followed. Now, this is different than saying that there was fraud, that there was somebody who voted 15 times. But this has to do with the rules, the way we conduct elections, and what those are and how they were applied. For example, I mean, I think it is fair— to ask whether or not there was ballot harvesting. And this is where individuals or groups gather other people's absentee ballots and then deliver them to election clerks. Now, this is technically already illegal in Wisconsin, but it's very apparent in a couple high-profile instances, I think, that the Wisconsin Election Commission failed to enforce the law as, as written. And that's why I think things like democracy in the park in in Madison were were allowed to flourish, which, in my opinion, are probably illegal. I say probably because the Supreme Court ultimately is going to have to rule on it, but, but they haven't. So it's fair to focus on, you know, did we have ballot harvesting going on? Now, that's not the same as saying, gee, you know, these ballots that were turned in were fake, but we do have procedures that are in place for a—, a for a purpose. Um, in Wisconsin, we've got voter ID. But there is a loophole that allows absentee voters to sidestep the voter ID rules if they simply say they are indefinitely confined. And you have county clerks in Dane and Milwaukee County in particular encouraged voters to claim that they were indefinitely confined due to the coronavirus panic. The number of indefinitely confined voters in Wisconsin went from 72,000 to over 200,000. All right? So I, I think, you know, it, it's fair to say, all right, is that, is that provision— that indefinite confinement, what does that mean, and is that being misused moving forward? And it's not saying necessarily that the people who claim they were indefinitely confined who sent this absentee ballot in weren't without the photo ID. It's not saying that they committed fraud, but it's saying that they use, did they do something, a procedure that wasn't authorized in the law. It's different than fraud. And then, of course, you have all the other stuff going on where you have different clerks of court who are applying sort of different rules. So while I don't believe there was fraud per se that changed the result of the election, moving forward, I do think that there are legitimate questions as to what state law allows to be done and doesn't allow to be done in the conduct of elections. And my concern is... If we don't have a candid conversation of this and some sort of review and some sort of legislation, you know, I don't want to argue about whether Trump won or lost the election. Trump lost the election. Biden's been around for a year and a half. I want to talk about how we conduct elections moving forward. And and to me that's where an election investigation needs to be focused. It's on procedures that were used in the 2020 election and whether or not some of those procedures comport with state law. My general feeling is several or at least a couple of the procedures, the things like democracy in the park, they they were illegal. They were in violation of the law, which is, again, different then the people who cast ballots wouldn't otherwise have been entitled to cast ballots, but they might not have been able to cast ballots in the way they did, if that makes sense. Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet mortgage talk and text line. In some respects, I think it's time to move away from the the conversation of did Trump win or lose the election. That, That ship that ship has sailed, and it sailed a long time ago. I do think, however, it is fair to ask questions about moving forward. What does the law say about how some of these elections are going to be conducted? And and can you do giant what I think it's fair to say, ballot harvesting operations like, like democracy in the park and things like that. Is it fair to at least decide whether or not that is legitimate? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. that's the Accurate mortgage talk and text line. Do you believe the elections were fair? Do you believe that we need to at least define what the rules are under the law moving forward? And my answer is yes to both. Yeah, I think the election, I don't think this was stolen. I think, you know, Joe Biden got the most votes. I don't think they were non-existent votes. But I do think it's legitimate to say, all right, some of these procedures we used, are they are they lawful? And should we do them again moving forward? We discuss in just a minute. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line.
6: This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Jeff, what's the problem with democracy in the park? We should make it easy to vote so people can participate as possible. Okay, well, that's a different story. All right, look, that, that, that's a whole different story. But we have election laws that are set in place that say, okay, this is, let, let's take the example of like the voter ID thing. All right, you're supposed to show up and if you mail an absentee ballot in, you're supposed to go through all the hoops that you have to do to provide the, the voter identification with it to make sure that it's you that's voting. All right, now you might argue that that's silly. I mean, I understand. There's people out there who think, oh, we don't need to have voter ID. Well, okay, that that that's fine, but that's not what the law is. So the question becomes when you have clerks, for example, that say you can claim to be indefinitely confined and you can get around some of this stuff, well, okay, then the question becomes, is that within the letter of the law? Is it within the spirit of the law, et cetera? I'm just simply saying that you need the law to be followed. And I think there's questions about whether or not the law was followed in different things, especially moving forward. Now, and again, I think that that's different than saying fraud. I'll tell you one of the complaints that I have just dismissed from the beginning, and that is that, you, you go to sleep at night. and This is a problem in Wisconsin. You go to sleep at night and it's generally the Republican that's ahead. And then all of a sudden the city of Milwaukee comes in and there's this huge ballot dump. And all of a sudden the Democrat is ahead. And to me, I understand in some people's minds that makes people think that there's something crooked going on. Well, the problem is, you know, in in the state, The law doesn't allow clerks to start counting ballots before the the polls open. So Milwaukee gets overwhelmed, and so their results always come in hours after the fact. And because Milwaukee is heavily Democrat, it changes the numbers. Now, that happened with Walker. It ended up happening with Trump. Again, I don't think that that's a situation where there's fraud, but I do think that that's a situation where— and this should be a bipartisan thing to me republicans and democrats should agree that we should allow the clerks to start processing the ballots before you know in advance so you get results closer to real time because i concede i understand that suddenly all of a sudden they found hundreds of thousands of ballots in milwaukee well those ballots were always in milwaukee it was just that they hadn't been counted but yet so that's that's a, i think a legitimate change that we should make which would i believe in Inspire more confidence in the election. Um, but again, we've got resistance to that. 855-616-1620. Bob in Wauwatosa. Hi, Bob.
3: Yeah, hi, Jeff. How you doing? Good. Uh, as you know, I've been pretty active for years, and I've been on every committee the last 50 years that studied fraud in uh, Wisconsin, specifically the metro area. And there's so many questions here that Gableman and Janelle and these guys can answer. And let's start out the number one thing. Um, <clears throat> the number one thing is how many how many people actually voted in the election across the state and how many ballots were there? Uh, they found out in uh, in Arizona there was a very interesting discrepancy. Uh, number two, we have the Zuckerberg thing. Zuckerberg mm-hmm. did not spend millions of dollars because he wanted to have... An honest election. Number three, how about all these people that come in from Illinois, and there's lots of them. They had in 2012, they had 143 victory centers. They come in, they do a job, they register to vote, they vote early, and then they go back. Um, number three, Lena Taylor, and this was pointed in, uh, out in a journal article one time, had 29 people uh, uh, registered at one of her places. Number four, we have all these uh, these homes that are around here, that are um, the votes come in and and they're all the same uh, same vote. they're all the Mm -hmm. same hand and there were supposed to be laws that there were supposed to be election judges to accompany Mm -hmm. when they go into these homes and there weren't and then finally we have all these election laws that they changed and were directly opposed to what the legislature wanted i mean what's going on here this is not yes it is i'm saying that uh, a South American country that's happening in Wisconsin, and when our when our when our we're so close, twenty thousand votes either way. And in uh, and, and two thousand, it was five thousand votes. You have to watch for every vote. It isn't like we're losing, like, right, Goldwater or something.
1: Well, well, Bob. Now, thanks. Sir. I mean, and I, I appreciate what you're saying, and, and you're in many respects you're talking about the the type of procedures that that, that I'm I'm talking about, and that, and that's why I think it is perfectly fair to say. All right. Let, let's focus on on some of the things that were done. Okay. Let's look at democracy in the park in Madison. Does this comport with the, the statute? Is this legal? It's one of the reasons, for example, that I think the Supreme Court did a state Supreme Court did a huge disservice by not taking some of these cases after the 2020 election and essentially kicking the the cat down the road and saying, well, this isn't this this issue is moot because the election is over, et cetera. Because you know the thing is going to come up again next year, and we're going to be right back where we stand so I mean I and, and I, I understand you're talking about individual things and I, I I think it's fair for the legislature to look at things I guess I'm looking at what they're doing now though and the sense I get is this it's this bigger issue here we're, we want to look at ballots and we want to do these type of analyses of things like that absent any sort of evidence that there was any sort of massive type of fraud that goes on I'm all in favor of 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 standardizing the procedures and making sure that what's going on is compliant with with state law, and I do think it's one of these things where you, the the rules that apply in Madison should be the same rules that apply in Waukesha should be the same rules that apply in Green Bay. I mean, I have problems with some of the things that goes on that go on where you have you know different. You know, different standards, where the polls are open longer in Milwaukee than they are, you know, somewhere else. I and I, I get it. That's all the stuff that to me promotes this perception that there is an unfair election. And I think, you know, statewide there needs to be standardized stuff. And I'm not saying that we run elections perfectly. I, I'm not. I'm just saying that I don't think there's been any sort of evidence that the election was stolen, and I think if we're going to investigate the elections, we would be much better off moving away from that and, again, focusing on the procedures with the idea of trying to figure out how in next April, how next September, how next November, and how moving forward we're going to consistently run elections where you know the rules are being followed across the board, and I guess that's... My point, and I'm not sure what's going on now gets us closer to that, and and maybe it needs to be reframed. Maybe this is something that should be looked at in the context of the legislature, because I I don't I'm, I'm tired of having these arguments. And you're right, Bob. Elections in Wisconsin are incredibly close. They, they are, and you know X number of votes one way or the other can change things. And you you want to make sure there's as much that, that that there's as much integrity as absolutely possible that's going on but i think you we're better off focusing on what the rules are as opposed to well did trump win or maybe he really won and maybe there was this massive fraud i don't think that's out there i think again we got to focus on procedures back with more in just a minute live from the annex wealth management
0: studios at historic radio city this is the jeff wagner show the Acunet mortgage talk and text line is open now Give Jeff a call at
1: 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Yes, if Mike Spaulding would ever wonder whether or not people actually listen to his newscast... I, I, I will tell you, I'm so impressed with you, because the answer is at least clearly summed in, Mike. You, you know that. All right. You, you know, there's no question about it, because in your newscast, mm-hmm. you went through the fact that, that Governor Evers was in Milwaukee today, and he was talking about how they've got $45 million in mm-hmm. American Rescue Act money that's going to be passed out, and you listed all the different places that it was going to be mm-hmm. passed out. and And a number of our listeners picked up on that. $25 million going towards violent prevention, violence prevention efforts, $6.6 million to the Medical College of Wisconsin for research, etc. More money for a grant program, $8 million to the City of Milwaukee's Office of Violence Protection. All these people caught it. $20 million to support victim services in Wisconsin. People noticed all that. All right. So good. Yeah. Do we have swag or something for them? Well, no, no, because they also noticed there was something that you did not mention in that, in that with the governor passing out all this money, apparently there wasn't a dime that was going to, for example, hire more police officers or anything like that. So I just I point that out. Number of our listeners noted that as well. Well, and then, look, I have no problem with, you know, additional money to support victim services. But, you know, at the same time, it would be nicer if we had fewer victims that were out there in the first place of crime. So people did, in fact, notice it. And yes, I noticed that as well, that in the governor's like list of money that was coming out. Um, it, it didn't there wasn't money that was going to actually, I don't know, help, get the bad guys off the streets at least not in the direct fashion but that's okay maybe there's more announcements to come all right there's good news and there's bad news especially if you are on social security if you hadn't uh, if you haven't seen it the story is that it's been announced that social security social security benefits for next year are going to increase 5.9%. Now, over the last 10 years, Social Security benefits are tied to inflation, and over the last 10 years, the average increase has been like about 1.7%, right? Um, For 2022, it's going to be the largest increase in four decades. It's going to go up 5.9%. Now, I understand everybody's different if you're on social security, but this increase is going to translate on average to an additional 92 bucks um, for the average retiree's monthly benefit next year, bringing that amount to $1,657. So the average retiree after they get this ninety-two bucks, is going to be bringing in sixteen hundred and fifty-seven dollars. Some obviously get less, some obviously get more, but that's what the average is going to be. Now I understand some people are sitting there saying, "Oh, this is great, wonderful. You know, we, we've got an extra, you know, hundred dollars, ninety-two dollars a month on average." And some get more, some get less. Okay, here's here's the problem with that though, and this is the, you know, glasses half empty version of it. The reason this is going up is because cost of living is going up. For example, for those of you who pay um, or on Medicare Part B, um, your your premiums are going to increase, by $10, nearly 7%. So it's going to go from 148.50 and that's the baseline for Medicare Part B. Depending on your income, you could pay more, but it's going to go from $148 to $158. In addition, the price of prescription drugs has essentially gone through the roof. It's increased by 16% in 2020 alone. That's for prescription drugs. So it depends again on how many prescription drugs you take and what your deal is. But the point is, you're getting $92. But before you more, but before you celebrate too much, understand that the reason you're getting that extra $92 is because the cost of living ha- has gone up, and that $92 is just really intended to keep you even. So. It- It's not this huge net gain or anything like that. So it's a reflection of the fact that um, for the last year or so, you're starting to see inflation just come back and come back in a a big way, right? Now, here's the more interesting kind of larger point that I want to discuss with you, because we all know that Social Security, well, Social Security is not a giant bank account, You know, it's not like that money that those of us who've been working for all our lives have paid in, it's not like we pay that money in and the money that we've paid in sits in an account that we can draw. on. it's not like a savings account. What it is, it's a promise that the government has to pay us. So money that those of us who are working pay into Social Security is used to pay out benefits from people who are collecting. Social Security, right? Everybody knows that. So here's the deal. Um, Right now, the Social Security Trust Fund is projected to become depleted by 2034, so there's another 13 years. At that time, Social Security income would be sufficient to pay about 78% of scheduled benefits. So in other words, any surplus that's there at the rate people are drawing money is going to be depleted and there's not going to be enough money coming in at present rates to cover all the money that's going to have to go out. This cost of living increase, they estimate that it's going to cause the depletion of Social Security maybe about three months earlier. But the the big picture here is we're looking at a potential train wreck because there's about 50 percent of people who are retired for whom Social Security is their their principal means of support. It's about 50 percent. Um, roughly half of Americans aged 65 or older rely on Social Security for 50% or more of their income. About 25% of seniors 65 and older rely on the benefits for 90% of, or more of their income. So obviously, 10 years from now, if those numbers hold, and if all of a sudden – you have to go from, okay, what's currently 100% of what you're entitled t- to, and it has to get cut down to 80%, 70%. That's going to be a, a huge issue, and it's probably not going to happen politically because seniors are a very, very powerful voting block. But the issue is, what what do we do? How do we plug that gap, especially— With what we're seeing now, which is fewer and fewer people in the workforce, which means fewer and fewer people paying Social Security tax on on their earnings. So I think, if anything, this trend that we've seen of people quitting their jobs and and not going back to work— I think, if anything, that's going to make these numbers, you know, when does Social Security run out of money and not be able to pay full benefits, I think it makes it more likely than not that that's going to happen before 2034, unless something is done. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And this is the conversation that I want to have. Seems to me we've got a couple choices. Do nothing and just kind of see what happens. Let, let's just, it's too complicated. Let's just see that's already 2034. thirty-four. That's another 10 or 11 years. Let's kick this down the road and let's, let's see how we do it. Okay, that's number one. Number two is to try to figure out how to bring more money into the system. Now, right now, you stop paying social security tax at uh, 142800 Once you hit that, you stop paying in. Next year, that's going to increase to 147000 One thing you could do is you could just blow those limits. You could say, okay, you're going to have to pay Social Security earnings tax on, on all your earnings. So it's not going to be capped at $147,000. That would have more income. I guess another alternative would be to say, even all these people who have paid in Social Security over their years, we're going to means test it. So in other words, if you have other assets, if you're not one of those that depends on Social Security for 50% of your income, we're not going to give you Social Security, or we're going to uh, reduce the amount that you can claim, despite the fact that you've been promised all this. Just like with Medicare, if you make more money than a certain level, you pay more. Or I guess there's other options as well. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do we do, if anything? And I guess one option is just what we've pretty much been doing for the last 20 years, which is stick our head in the sand and pretend this isn't a problem and deal with it when it becomes it. Is that responsible? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's a text, Jeff. I'm 21. I'm paying for Social Security. I don't believe I'll ever see that money again. It's sad. I wish I had an option not to pay in. I I don't know. I I mean, I, I don't know what the future is for people who are 40, 45 years away from collecting on Social Security. I think for people who are on Social Security now or people who are close to collecting Social Security, to me, I think that's that's a promise that the government has made in exchange for taking people's money over the course of a lifetime. And I, I don't see major changes to that. What you do with people who are in their 30s, their 20s and 30s, though, I, I don't know. But I, I do know this. It, it's it's a train wreck that, that's potentially there, and nobody wants to deal with it because it's all these kind of tough choices that are out there. I, I don't think— You can tell people that, boom, all of a sudden we're going to cut your benefits by 25 percent, especially people who are on Social Security now or are close to the retirement age because that money has been factored in and you've paid into that. And I don't think you can take that away. I think the most likely thing to do – and that you're going to see is I think the income limits as to which you have to pay Social Security tax are going to continue to increase. And so, like I say, right now, the cap is 142 dollars But I think as you move forward, You're going to see that the higher income earners have to continue to pay that Social Security tax on a larger percentage of of their income. I think that's certainly fairer than telling them, okay, when you hit Social Security age and you start collecting, we're going to means test and we're not going to give you as much as we otherwise promised because you have more. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Bill and Racine. Hi, Bill.
3: Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, Jeff. I re- I just turned 70 last Thursday.
1: Happy birthday, belatedly.
3: <laughs> well, I guess. But, and I retired four months ago. But I got a couple of telephone calls today and the day before, and I'm going back to work.
4: Okay. Uh,
3: an extra year and a half, an extra two years, whatever, that'll help. Um, and I really do not believe that we should get that bump. In the social security benefits, let's tight, let's all tighten our belts a little bit and let's try to make things work.
1: Are, are you worried that uh, Bill? You, you're seventy. Are you worried that social security in the next four or five years isn't going to be there for you, or at least in the amounts that you you're promised?
3: Uh, well, that's ten years away.
1: Right. Right.
3: More than that. Uh, f- right. Yeah. I, you're going to ask me, am I going to be alive in 10 years?
1: Well, I was asking— I doubt it. Okay, got it. All right, good enough. No, thank, thanks. Well, I hope hope that's not the case. 855 I do think that, that this is—I do think this needs to be part of a planning process, particularly for people who are younger— you know, when you start re- – look, and I understand you're working at 25. You're, you're not thinking about retirement. I, I get it. I, I remember that. At some point in time, though, you you start thinking more and more of it. And I do think the reality is as we move into uncharted areas, I think people need to take more and more responsibility for figuring out – if not, what's the world going to look like without Social Security? Because I don't think Social Security is going to go away, but I do think it's what's your world going to look like if Social Security doesn't look like it looks today. Not for people who are on it. I just think politically that's not going to happen. Not for people who are close to being able to collect it, but for people who are a ways away. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to another Bill. Bill in Wrightstown. You're on WTMJ. Hello.
7: Yeah, hi. Thanks for talking to me. Sure. I think we should, for lack of anything else, kick it down the road, not do anything. Be honest with the American people. Tell them the program is coming to an end. People won't like it, but they'll adjust. We'll come up with something new and different. Is that so hard for for the government to do? No, but they won't because they want to lie to us.
1: Well, I I don't know that it's a question of, of... I don't think it's lying to people. I mean, okay, so... You, you kick it down the road and, and you just kind of pretend that it's not going to be a problem and then 2034 or 2033 or 2032 or whenever it is rolls around and all of a sudden you have all these people who are... Depending on Social Security for a good portion of their retirement, and you suddenly tell them, "Sorry, you know all those all that money you paid in over your lifetime, uh, you're you're not going to get it now. You get thirty percent less or whatever that number is, and you have to figure out how to deal with that." I I guess I just don't think that that's responsible. I I think you know you you have to. You have to plan for for these things, and I think it, it it's tough because it might involve making tough decisions. Like I, I understand I'm 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 this guy who's not in favor of of tax increases as a general rule, and I'm the guy who's saying okay maybe one of the things we need to do is dramatically start to increase you know the the limit when it comes to paying taxes on, on Social Security taxes, to bring more money in. I mean, look, that's, that's not something I throw out there all the time, but I'm telling you, I, I just don't think we can wait until two or three years before we're looking square in the face of, hey, um, all you folks who've been on Social Security and are depending on this, well, get ready to take a 30% less. I, I, I just, I don't think that's responsible. If this is a contract and a promise that we made to retirees or people throughout their life, I think we have a moral obligation to honor that, and we need to figure out how to do it and again, it might be involve making some tough choices we 're going to continue this conversation got a lot of great calls on the line. Social Security. What got me started on this is you're you're getting a. a, If you're on Social Security now, you're getting a five point. What's the number? Five point nine percent raise for 2002. But don't get too excited. 22. Don't get too excited because you're getting that because it's all pretty much going to be eaten up with the higher cost of living. We continue the conversation in a moment.
0: Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff
1: Wagner. You, you meet the most interesting people on some of our listener trips. As a matter of fact, I got a text here from, Hey, Jeff, I was, uh, I was on with you on the Rhine trip in 2019. Um, remember, I'm the social security guy. I've been studying this for 23 years. There are various proposals on the table. I said, okay, well, what, what's, what's the one that makes the most sense? Give me the, the best idea. He says, in order to make it work, what's going to have to happen is the payroll tax is going to have to be increased. And the payroll tax has been, it's 6.2%, and it's been in place for a long time. He says, or what you have to do is what you're talking about. You have to take the cap off and increase the, the amount that you pay taxes on. But it I mean, here's the reality. There's just not enough money coming in that that's and and i think it's going to get worse not better as more and more people drop out of the workforce whether it's retiring early because of the pandemic or just figuring out that hey maybe the the government benefits are such that you know you don't you don't need to work you can come close to what you're you know we're making by working by, by just not working I, I think this is a problem that's going to get worse and I think it's going to get worse faster than we think eight five five six one six one six twenty Jorge in Waukesha good afternoon.
7: Good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Hey, um, there are so, so many arguments about you know, who's guilty, gives the government those, and the stuff like that. But see, there is one thing that everybody is not mentioning. Like and the people that are receiving Social Security right now, usually those people had a good jobs in the 70s or so somewhere over there. See what's happening now with automatization of the companies. Mm-hmm. So. You know, they need to incentivize new generations to work in something new so they can make more money, so they can pay taxes. Yeah. It's the only way. I mean, or, it, or just take a couple cents from uh, every gallon of gas we buy. It's <laughs> the easiest way, and it's the less stainless. But the problem is it goes too much bureaucracy on it. By the end, that the money gets to somewhere else. is already gone.
1: Right. So, no, or, or, or I see. I'm, no, no, I'm with you. No, I mean, I, I see. I'm with you. That's one of the reasons I just said that I, I think you know. I think it's going to get worse faster because you have all these people that are dropping out of, of the workforce. We talked about this yesterday or Monday. The days kind of blur. the number of like last month they had like they call them they call them quits Q U I T S. They had like almost I think it was two point nine percent of the workforce just quit. And, 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 you know, you don't, they, they just quit their jobs, and you, you don't know if they're going to go to other jobs or whatever. But you are exactly right, Jorge. We need to figure out a way where you've got more people who are working and are contributing into that social security system than, than fewer. And what we're seeing is fewer and fewer people are, are there. And that's, like I say, this is, I mean, it, it, you know, it's, I, for people who think it's light at the end of the tunnel, at least right now, it's not light at the end of the tunnel. It's a train wreck coming the other way and politicians who try to deal with this get roundly ridiculed Paul Ryan, who is one of my personal heroes—I I mean, I think Paul Ryan is one of these guys who is the smartest person who walks—whenever When whenever he walks in a room, he's the smartest person who walks in that room, and the best part is he doesn't really carry himself like he is. That That's really a wonderful trait. But Ryan tried to talk about this for years, and and it was just—if you. If you try to talk about, hey, we've got an issue with Social Security, and we've got to look at reforming this, and, and maybe we've got to look at privatizing it to some extent, well, then you get all these ads about how, hey, you know, he wants to— th- Throw you know senior citizens out of the nursing homes and have them eating dog food and things like that. You can't even have a conversation about this. And my point is, we've got to have a conversation about it because you can't just continue to do nothing. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jessica, uh, Jessica and Kenosha, you're on WTMJ. Hi,
6: Jeff. Hi, Jessica. Um, i my my problem with this whole conversation is that. We haven't addressed why this happened. Well, let's talk about the government IOUs that the government has taken the money from the social security fund Mm -hmm. and used it for other purposes Mm -hmm. that has not been put back, and that's why we have a a shortage. Mm -hmm. Why don't we, instead of paying people 300, $500 a month not to work, why don't we take that money and put it back into the fund I, that uh, we've I, borrowed from, I, and uh, see if we can solve a little bit of it that way.
1: Jessica, thanks because Jessica, you are more than just another pretty face. I'm going to see if in the minute I have, if I can pull up actually the numbers, the money that's been borrowed. But you're you're you're, you're exactly right. You know, we're we're look. I I understand that we do things, and this is not a. You know, Bash Democrats, bash Republicans thing. We, we, we do things for political expediency. OK, let's give – hey, let's give people $600 a month. Let's give people all this extra stuff now because it makes them happy now without thinking about where that money is coming from or what it's going to mean down, down the line. And we try to avoid making these tough choices. Well, I, I just – I don't think that's fair for most people. Now, there's going to be a certain segment of the population for which – I don't know, you've been—for whatever reasons in the course of your lifetime, you you don't have to depend on Social Security. And I say depend on it. I mean, I think you're entitled to it. I mean, if you've paid in for 40 years, I I think— that, regardless of whether you need it more or less than somebody else, I think you're entitled to that. I think that's the contract that's been made. I think that that's the promise there. But the truth of the matter is, there's some people who, you know, Social Security is a much smaller part of their retirement plan than it is for other people. Let's talk to uh, James in Milwaukee. Hi, James.
3: How are you doing there, Jeff? Good. I think that uh, this whole thing's going to. Blow up a lot faster than you think it is. I think it's going to, unless we uh, start taking maybe uh, push it down to 80 percent, because I think in that 10 to 13 years that you're talking about, I think it's going to be about five or six years. I think it's coming faster than we uh, than we anticipate. With all these people out of jobs right now, and not not getting uh, and not being back in the workforce and that and everything else, I think that the next few years is going to Going to start depleting it a lot faster, and everything else. And I think five or six years, you're going to see it if we don't do eighty percent, about eighty percent, or so on on uh, the ones that are getting uh, Social Security right now. I think that's it's
1: uh-huh. going to be gone. Well, I mean, th- thanks for calling. I I hope I hope you're wrong. <laughs> I just I, I I I mean I, I just I kind of hope you're wrong because it, that would really be a crisis. I mean, here look, here, here's the political reality of this too. I mean, do you want to be the elected official, Republican, Democrat, Independent, who suddenly says, Oh, by the way, you know we're not increasing your benefits, ninety-two bucks, but we're going to drop them twenty percent. So the average retiree is going to get like let's round it up to seventeen hundred bucks a month. Okay, so now you're you're not you're not getting that seventeen hundred bucks a month. You're going to get I don't know thirteen hundred and fifty bucks a month. I mean do you want to be the politician that says that? And, And what practically does that do? But you're you're right, James. To the extent that I don't know when this is, but as fewer and fewer people are are working. And see, and that's always been the premise of Social Security, that you you know, you have the people that are working, they're paying in, that's sufficient to take care of the people who are on Social Security and um maybe have a little bit extra. Well as as people live longer, so they're collecting Social Security for longer periods of time, and now we're at this point where we're subsidizing and at least indirectly encouraging people not to go back to work. It's just, I mean, it is the perfect storm of problems. We'll revisit this at some point in time, really smartphone calls. And I I wish I had definitive answers, but I do think you need to look at ways that we've got to raise revenue. And I'm not a tax guy. I'm I'm not the guy that says, let's increase taxes. But I'm looking at this and I'm saying, look, I don't think we can wait until four years from now or six years from now or eight years from now to start having this conversation. Now, does that mean that politicians are going to want to deal with this? Well, we know the answer to that.
0: You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All
1: right. It's not going to be the trial of the century. It's probably not going to be the trial of the decade, but it might be the trial of, of the year. Coming up on November 1st, down in Kenosha, Kyle Rittenhouse, who was the guy who on the third day of the riots – yeah, I have no problem using that word – the riots down in Kenosha, he's the one who was there with the long rifle and ended up shooting, killing two people and seriously injuring a third – after what over a year, the trial is finally scheduled to start on November first. So that's coming up in just a couple weeks. The the way the pro- look, I, I take, I don't know how this case is going to turn out. I, I intend to watch it closely, and I obviously will comment on this. This is. Some people think it's an open sh- and shut case for the prosecution. It's not. Some people think it's going to be a clear-cut win for the defense. It, it's not. This is going to depend a lot on the testimony and the theories. The prosecution, I will confess, and this is from a former prosecutor, I do not understand some of the things that they've, they've done. And actually, the judge has helped them by denying their request to do certain things because if he had agreed to it and they did it, it would pretty much guarantee, in my opinion, that if they got a conviction, the conviction would be reversed. First. Obviously, they've got some concerns about the strength of the case, or they wouldn't be doing what they're doing. For example, they've just filed a motion. Now, keep in mind, in trials, especially trials where people are on trial, if Kyle Rittenhouse is convicted, he's probably looking at life in prison. You know, the defense has— pretty wide latitude to present its defense. And if, as the prosecution, you try to block it, well, you 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 really—it's a risky sort of proposition if an appeals court decides, hey, this went too far. So the prosecution is now arguing to the judge that um, the defendant should not be referred to by his first name, Kyle. In other words, the the defense attorneys and all can't refer to him as Kyle in an attempt to kind of like personalize him to the jury. That's a crazy motion. Um, they're arguing that the, the prosecution is that the lawyer shouldn't be allowed to refer to the people he shot as rioters, looters, arsonists, or any other pejorative term. Well, OK, the best thing the judge can do for the prosecution is to just deny this because he, he's entitled— to present his defense. And if his defense is, in his opinion, the people that he shot were rioters, looters, arsonists, and any other pejorative term, he's at least entitled to advance that theory. And the prosecution can rebut it. But this idea that they're trying to put limits on him, I'm I'm, wondering, you know... Where did these prosecutors go to law school, for goodness sakes? Um, referring They argue that referring to, um, the, by defense, calling him Kyle, that could be seen as emphasizing his youth. Okay, I've tried, over the years, I, I've, I tried lots and lots of cases, probably more than 100 cases in federal court, and it's never occurred to me to try to say that a defense attorney shouldn't be able to refer to a defendant by his first name. The best thing I say, like I say, that this judge can do in Kenosha is deny these various motions. And it makes me wonder that the prosecution is even bringing them up, whether or not they really have so little confidence in their case that they're kind of grasping at straws. This isn't the first time they've done it. Again, I take no position on how this trial is going to turn out, other than to say that what the prosecution is doing here has all the signs of flop sweat. Just try the case, present the evidence, make the arguments, and then let the jury decide one way or the other. When we come back, we're going to find out what's going on on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.